Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone. It's episode 21. Time to go clubbing. And by clubbing, I mean get a baseball bat, head to the water. No, never mind. Forget that. No, no. So, um, this week we're talking about casting, not like if you're going to make a movie, the other kind of casting that involves like metal and materials and things like that. Tanda, what skill class is casting? So we're not talking about fishing at all. Um, the uh, skill class is uh, is a seven, but that's that's not cast in stone. Very good, very good. Tom, did you do any research on casting? Yeah, so castling is when you move your king two spaces to the left or right, and then you move your rook uh, on the other side of the king. Uh, it's a move to protect your king from the attack, and uh, that's about all I know about. I casting. think I think you're thinking of castling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nailed it. Yep. Good work, Tom. That's our show for tonight. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Yeah. That's that's uh, no L in our topic this week, Tom. Casting. Well, that's. Yeah. It sounds like that's up for debate. Well, I mean, I guess if our skill was chess, that might be relevant. But. That, do you play chess? I love chess. I do play chess, but I play chaos yeah. chess which is a form of chess that no one really ever wins because I destroy the board and I'm not trying to actually win. Is that two player? Uh, meaning two players on a team? No, it's one player on each side. And um, you oh. know what I try to do is basically steal all your pieces. I'm not actually trying to win the game. I'm just trying to destroy every strategy possible. So it confuses people, oh, and then I'm just chaos. Yeah, it's total chaos. Yeah, I my strategy is not to win by getting the king; it is to win by humiliating you by taking every single piece I can. And then you're like, "Where where is this strategy going?" No one can ever figure it out because my whole goal is just to get pieces. That's it. I'll destroy you. I'm pretty good at endgame. Some of some of the early AI programs struggled with uh, with novice players who made like nonsensical moves. And the, and the artificial intelligence was just like, that makes no sense. I've not been trained to see this sort of uh, this silliness. Yeah, that, that's me. It's a bunch yeah. of nonsense. Guys, 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 let's get back on topic. We're obviously talking about casting. I don't know why you guys are talking about chess now. Um, I don't know a lot about casting. I've never really done it, except with Play-Doh. But technically, that's not casting. That's uh, Casting needs to be a liquid material, I think. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to learn. So... Maybe Tanda has some some knowledge to drop on me. Well, I uh, the the research I did on casting uh, was on polyurethane casting because that's what I've found to be most interesting to me. I've dabbled a little bit, you know, or thought a little bit about doing kind of foundry work type casting or other forms of casting. But what really kind of piqued my interest a number of years ago that I wanted to get into was polyurethane casting because I wanted to be able to prototype parts that were similar to injection molded parts but didn't have that cost. So I researched uh, polyurethane casting and it turns out that the early polyurethane was made by Otto Bayer in Germany. So if you're familiar with like Bayer Aspirin and the Bayer Company, wasn't wasn't them totally unrelated but but his name was his name was Otto Bear 
And uh, he made the first polyurethane in 1937. So it's, you know, in some sense, you know, compared to maybe casting metals and stuff, polyurethane is a fairly new material. What is polyurethane? Because I hear polyurethane, I look at the shelf over here that has paint on it. So what is polyurethane in casting form? Well, is it plastic? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a reaction that occurs when you mix a two-part system together. So it's a, like a monomer and a, oh gosh, I've forgotten the chemistry of it. Haven't looked it up in a while. Like a resin or an epoxy situation? But it's like a resin system, only it's not an epoxy. So a lot of things are, are polyurethane. And so he came up with some of the first polyurethane in 1937 and then it was used on, like, sprayed on or put on aircraft in World War II, not too long after, but didn't see much much use after that. And then later in the, like, late 50s, there was this collaboration between Monsanto and Bayer, which was this Bayer, to cr- start creating plastics in the U.S. And, and they had the very creative name Mo Bay for the Monsanto-Bayer collaboration company. And in the 1960s, they started using it for some auto interiors. So dashboard components and a few things like that, where they were mixing and making polyurethanes. I've been thinking about it, Tanda. I I think you got the wrong brother. I don't think it was Otto Bear. I I think it was the other brother, which was Emmanuel Bear. Emmanuel Bear. I could have, I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I thought I was pretty sure I looked it up, but, uh, yeah, Auto Bear, you know, what could have happened is Emmanuel could have started all of this. And uh, and then while he was busy, like, shifting around, Auto Bear just boom, cruised right through. It's possible. It's po- they were That's brothers. So They were brothers, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I think Auto, Auto came later. I do think, yeah. Because he was just, he was easier, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Emmanuel, Emmanuel was, was born first. So he was the oldest. Right. And then, uh, then Otto did come afterwards. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think, as I recall, he was just a three-speed as well. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, they were using it in automobile interiors. And uh, in 1967, Otto Bear created an all-plastic car. I remember hearing about this. And, call, and, and developed this process, which is called, just called RIM today, reaction injection molding. So basically, instead of injection molding like we think of it you mix your two-part polymer to create the polyurethane and you inject that you mix it and immediately inject it into a mold and then it it goes through its usually exothermic reaction in the mold and you pull out a part so a lot of you know valences and car bumpers and and in modern day cars even fenders and stuff but then uh, the last thing i found in my research the first all plastic or plastic auto body. I thought Saturn was the first company to do plastic, you know, like all plastic body panels, but it was the 1983 Pontiac Fiero. Mm. And I, Mm. I mean, that was, you know, around the time that I would have been like going off to college and interested in cars and stuff. And I remember thinking the Fiero was an, an interesting car because it was a little two seater and had a rear engine and stuff. Never remember hearing anything about it being plastic, all plastic, until I until I was researching this. So that was interesting. I can't remember if we talked about this on another episode or not, but um, the 
that plastic bodied car was like a complete failure, but the manufacturing processes used to make it spark like an entire subsect of uh, manufacturing, like industrial manufacturing. Like the car itself was a failure, but all the processes they had to make in order to get it to, to that point were used by like a whole bunch of other industries. So the, the car right. tanked, but the processes survived in many other forms. And I can't remember specifics, but anyway, that was... Yeah. No, yeah. I think I, I think I may have heard something along those lines and just never knew it was the Fiero. For some reason, I just had no idea that that was a plastic body. No, no, no. Or, I'm not talking yeah. about the Fiero. I'm talking about the one from the 60s, the one that Auto Bear, um, oh, they manufactured. demonstrated. Oh, that yeah, could the, be. Yeah, the, the Fiero, um, they actually manufactured and sold for a number of years. The, the, the one that Bear did totally tanked. Like, I don't think it made it past a year. It, it was... Yeah. As I recall, as I recall, they made a kind of a radical change one model year that made it completely different, and then it just stopped selling because everyone yeah. wanted the old model Fiero. It was kind of like you know some of the changes they've made with Mustangs over the years, where it just totally turned people off and they just stopped buying them. Fieros were death traps, also, uh, not just for their small size, but they had massive electrical problems. If you talk to anybody that knows anything about Fieros, they would short circuit all the time. No, it's probably gr probably grounding problems because they had no metal body to bond <laughs> the ground to. I just googled '83 Pontiac Fiero just to confirm that I know what you're talking about. Uh -huh. And the first hit says, "Why did Pontiac Fieros catch fire?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the name. I mean, it was just like destiny. The thing that those yeah. cars yeah. are really famous for is because of the body style and the engine placement. They were perfect kit cars to make uh, into Lamborghinis. You could buy a Lamborghini body style and put it over a, a Fiero um, frame, mm -hmm. uh, Lamborghini Countach's, which was my favorite car growing up. Still want one someday. Yeah. that's a, I, I've heard this story, maybe this is urban legend, that was kind of a bet between Lamborghini and Ferrari, that uh, Ferrari made the insult that you're just a tractor maker, there's no way you could make a uh, a sports car. And so Lamborghini set out to make a uh, a sports car and that was the beginning of the of the line i'm trying to remember my lamborghini history i know they did i can't remember if they started with tractors or if they started with heaters i don't remember which one was first but i know that tractors was in there somewhere yeah i thought that for some my, my recollection I, I thought was that the insult was like you're you're a tractor maker you, mm -hmm, there's no mm -hmm. way you can make a, a sports car and that that set up the rivalry i i prefer lamborghini over ferrari i've never liked ferraris uh i don't i don't i don't know what it is but i just i i find that there's a strict divide for most people too you either like one or you like the other very few people like both right welcome um, to auto talk on maker skills um exactly. oh pj what'd you find on casting so, of course, you know me. I set out to find uh, when was casting invented. And according to my sort of not really extensive research, casting started uh, right after the Stone Age, going into the Copper Age at 7700 BC. So a little over 9,000 years ago. And I was wondering exactly how did they go from Stone Age to Copper Age? And the explanation given was they were most likely surrounding their fire pits 
with rocks that had copper. And when the rocks heated up, the copper just melted out. And then there was like this puddle of molten stuff. And they're like, hey, maybe we can make something out of this stuff. And then that's how it started. And they would use clay and beeswax for their casting process. And they would cast anything from household items to weapons to religious items, all that kind of good stuff. And um, they've found artifacts to back this up, that this is when metal casting first started. And then I started looking for interesting facts. And I found one thing that I thought was really kind of cool. In 8th century AD, they manufactured a 20-meter-high Buddha that was cast in place. Its weight was 780 times 10 to the third power kilograms. So, <laughs> I don't know. Anything that's to some sort of power multiplier, it's a lot, in my opinion. Uh, there was a special foundry technique used where the mold and the casting occurred simultaneously. So basically what they did was they built like the internal frame of the casting so that it would be hollow, the internal frame of the mold. And then on the outside of what it was supposed to look like, they built another like a hollow shell, I guess you could say. So think of like those mm -hmm. Easter bunny, the chocolate Easter bunnies that look solid, but you break into them and it's just like a thin shell. That's what they did with this. They they created, but it was 20 meters high. You think you think there'd be a market for those? For chocolate Buddhas? You, you mean there isn't one? I, there's no chocolate Buddhas? I, I don't know. I've never seen a chocolate Buddha, but I think you should be able to buy them now. Um, hmm. I think... There, I'll get on that. Yeah. For some reason, I... Amazon.com. Tom, search Go for ahead. hot chocolate booty. I mean, I mean Buddha. Did you find anything? <laughs> He's looking. Uh oh, we've lost. We've lost Tom. You should okay. have never misguided okay. him. Okay, forget that. Search for giant chocolate Buddha. Buddha. He's he's still lost. I think. Are you on some kind of? I'm working on it. I don't think Tom's. ChocolateBuddha.com is taken. So, there you go. So obviously somebody's okay. casting chocolate Buddhas, or 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 they uh, are are worshiping a darker Buddha. That that's the same thing, I think. Okay, I like chocolate. I love chocolate. I have chocolate every day, every day. I have some in, for for breakfast. So they so they made this shell, and they made the they made a slightly smaller mold inside, and then a shell mold outside just leaving the gap in between? So the the way that the diagram showed it was, yes, mostly like that. Uh, the internal structure was built almost like a, like a roller coaster frame. Like the inside mm -hmm. was had all these cross members and everything. And, and then the outside, they built this shell around it. And then the whole thing, if, if I read this correctly, was covered with dirt. So like they built a hill around the, to... Because you're you're pouring molten metal, mm -hmm. and it's going to push it back. It's going to it's going to try to escape. So they needed something to keep it there in order to prevent you know you don't want metal flowing all over the place, especially this amount of metal. And uh, they had foundries pouring something like uh, 
hundred to the second power of metal, like per hour. So they so they did it in one pour, just continue. They so they did the whole thing in one pour, just continually. So there's no cold seams in it. It didn't really say whether they did it in one pour, but it sounded to me like there was several f- foundries all on top of like a hill that this thing was being built on. And I think that they just continually were going from one foundry to the next to keep the pour going. And that's like, it says it was built in eight sections, but I think that was more the internal framework. Of course, I don't know, like, I find it amazing that this thing was done in 8th century AD. Like, I have no idea how they would manage something like that, like, in modern day. No, oh, we just 3D print it now. Yeah. <laughs> We'd build a giant gantry over it, just 3D print it. Like, like they 3D print houses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those 3D printed cement houses. I've seen that before. It's kind of mm-hmm. cool. All right. Here's the deal. You can't buy chocolate shaped like Buddha, apparently. But what you can buy is for $17.90, you can buy a silicone mold to make ice cubes and therefore chocolate. But there is a picture of a, I don't know, maybe it's a two-inch high Buddha made out of ice sitting in a glass with about an inch of whiskey in it. (laughs) That doesn't seem right. I bought one. I'll let you know how it turns out. Okay. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. So once again, the junk gods were with me. Tom, Tom, what are you doing with that, Tom? We told you about playing with pointy things, didn't we? Oh, it's just it was in my hand and I was exclaiming with my hands. Sorry. You know what we said about playing with knives, right? Just don't cut yourself? Yeah. You're not you're not liable. It's fine. Oh, real quick. You said you said the 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 junk gods were with you. What are their names? Uh, I can't reveal the names of the junk gods. Uh, that would put me in poor favor with them. We we don't reveal. You either know or you don't know. Okay, okay. that's that's how it goes. First first rule of junk god club. Don't talk about junk god club. It's not a club. Okay, you, we we don't pay dues. It's oh, you, okay. you you pay in rust. Right. It's you're you're a junk hunter or you're not a junk hunter. That's that's well. How it I'm goes. in the club. I shouldn't tell you that but continue continue so i got a double deal this saturday and we're going to start with the second thing first because that's kind of what started this whole thing off there was a guy and uh, you're you're going to love this tom his name was jesse james and he had a champion drill press listed for 30 bucks it was a little junk hunter blue with uh, no motor is what it said and I said, okay, well, can you send me, there was only one picture. And I said, can you send me a picture of the back so I could see how the motor mounts on there? And he sent me a picture of the back and there was no motor mount. Oh, I thought you were going to say there's a motor. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's, that's a problem. There's no way to put a motor on this thing. There's, there's no mounting plate. And he goes, oh, um, well, I, I guess you could have it for 20 bucks. And I said, nah, man, I said, the best I could do is 15 so it's going to cost me six times that amount just to have a mounting plate made, you know. So he's like, all right, fine, yeah, take it for 15 And Then he, he wasn't very clear about – he had other stuff for sale, but all the other stuff he wanted to sell was overpriced. But he had – I said, what do you have for sale that's not listed? And he had some sort of affiliation with some shop 
It wasn't his shop, though, because he said he could only go there when it was open. So I don't know if it was maybe a friend of his or something was being cleared out or what it was. But from the pictures, it looked like maybe some kind of automotive shop or something. It was very dirty. It was not a retail location at all. And he sent me these pictures. One of the things was like a set of welding curtains with a metal frame for like 40 bucks. And I asked my buddy Kyle, I'm like, man, do you want this? And he thought about it. And he's like, nah, I'm going to pass. And, you know, you could buy them new for like 80 and up if you really wanted them with a frame and all that. And then he had some welding rods. And I'm like, no, those are probably bad. They've been open to the air. But I did see in the picture there was a bench grinder on a stand. And I said, can you give me more pictures of that? I want to see the the bench grinder. It was really kind of dirty, and the, the label was scuffed up and scratched and stuff. But I could tell from looking at the shape and the colors, it was a Dayton bench grinder. Hmm. Plus, it's on a metal stand. So I said, what do you want for the bench grinder? And he goes, 75. I'm like, ah, no way, man. That's that's way too, too, that's out of my price range. I can't pay 75 for it. And he goes, well, what were you thinking? And I said, the best I could do is 40. And he goes, is, is there any way you could do 50? And I said, I, I don't know. I said, how, how big are the wheels and what's the horsepower? And he said, the, the wheels are eight inches and the horsepower is three quarter and it's a 240 volt. Um, but I also, I noticed that there was no switch to turn it on where there should be a switch. There was just a hole. And so I said, hmm, okay, well, uh, you know, you're, you're missing the switch and I don't have 240, you know, in the, in the shop. So that's like a strike against you. I said, I, I could come up to 45. That's the best I could do. And he goes, well, uh, the switch is mounted on the wall, and it was one of those square D uh, separate link switches that, you know, was wall mountable, like a box with two buttons. And uh, I said, okay, well, for 45, uh, I'll take it for 45 if you include the, you, you get the switch off the wall, and that comes with the stand. <laughs> You're brutal. The reason I worded it like that was because I'm I'm used to people, you know, like nickel and diamond me about stuff. And the the reason I bring it up is this just happened to to Ben Ben makes KC. He just bought something from a guy, and after they haggled over the price, guy, you know, like the money was exchanged, and then the guy took like half of the thing apart and handed it to him, and the other half he kept <laughs> because. It wasn't specified. Like Ben thought everything was one price, but the guy was looking at it like, "Well, I'm only going to give you this part." So I'm always, I always make sure that uh, you know, and that that happens to everybody. It's not like Ben's the only one that that's getting singled out here. That happens, you know. There's shysters all over the place trying to, you know, weasel out and not, you know, give as much as they could. So whenever I get something like that, I always make sure everything is included all at once. So then uh, he, he sends me a picture. He's like, I found this. Are you interested? And it's a picture of uh, a drill in a metal box. And I see that it's got like giant masonry bits. So I know it's a hammer drill. And I said, what's the brand on it? And he goes, it's a skill. And I'm like, all right, man. I said, listen, I, I get these at auction all the time for like $5, $10. The best I could do for you is 20 bucks. And he's like, okay. And then he, he texts me about five minutes later. He goes, hey, I found another one. Do you want that one too? And I said, is it the same model? He goes, yeah, it's the same thing. And I said, yeah, bring that one too. So that was that was a pretty good deal. And, and you know, 
these things are all metal construction, old school. Uh, it's actually on the box. It says it's a roto hammer, but you know it's a hammer drill. Uh, uh, <laughs> when I finally picked them up, the these things were massive. Like the boxes were like I don't know two and a half, three feet long, yeah. like one foot wide, and I plugged them in to check them, and each one of them worked, but they sounded like machine guns. And, you know, like the drill bits were like two feet long. I mean, it was like, oh, it was unbelievable. So 20 bucks was a steal. That was the thing that kind of got, like, that was an hour and a half away. So I needed another reason to kind of go down that route. And there was an auction on Saturday, and it was from an auctioneer that I'm very familiar with. I've gotten a lot of good deals from him. And this was sort of a weird auction. It was at the Leesville Farmer's Market. They were using it because there was a big heated building there where they could put everything. And, you know, it's still cold out here. And it, it wasn't totally clear. They kept saying it was overstocked, but it looked to me like this was an entire store that was being cleared out. And they this was the second day of the auction. So when I went down there... <laughs> It was hard to get any deals because everything was brand new and people were paying retail or above for the stuff that was there. And so I mostly I just sat around. But the first deal I scored, um, even for the crowd that was there, was still a, like a, a really good deal. They had these Black & Decker and then they had Scott's 20-volt uh, cordless leaf blowers. And these things retail for like 100 bucks. And, and one guy bid it all the way up to 40 bucks. And then so that he got one and like, all right, who else wants one for 40 bucks? And they had like 20 of them. So they're like handing them out for 40 bucks a pop and everybody got one. And I say everybody, there was like 300 people there. It was a lot, but you know, the people that wanted one got one. But then two hours later, two more Scott's cordless leaf blowers came up. So I started bidding on it and I got it for 30 bucks. So even I, I got a bigger discount than everybody else. So that made me feel like a ah, small victory. Then um, the next thing I got, which I didn't get a whole lot. I only won four lots the whole auction. It was it was really difficult. But I had noticed there was a tray with eight and a quarter inch brand new old stock Irwin Marathon saw blades, carbide tipped. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with the eight and a quarter inch size, but it's a it's a more obscure size for saw blades, and you can't get them in stores. It's, I have never seen them for sale anywhere that I've gone. Uh, once at my discount store, and then and then they've never had it since. But pretty much, if you want an eight and a quarter inch blade, you have to order it online. So there was four blades, brand new. So I'm like, oh, maybe I can steal that, you know, some from you know away from somebody who's going to really want those. They're a weird size. But when they came up for auction, it also came up with a, they bundled it with some other saw blades that were also there brand new, a seven and a quarter inch wood end metal Diablo blade, and then four six and a half inch uh, master mechanic blades. And I got the entire thing for 20 bucks, which is, that's basically the price of like one saw blade. So I was like, ah, finally, I scored. And then I'm sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. And I still got to go and pick up the, you know, all the stuff from this guy that's another half an hour further down from where I'm at. And it, they had so much stuff there. I would have been there to like nine o'clock at night before they got done with everything. So 
I, I wanted two items and they were just way at the back. So I just went and I grabbed them. There was a box of bandsaw blades and then a box of V-belts for running motors. So I just grabbed them, pulled them up to the front, and I grabbed one of the pickers and I said, hey man, can you put this into rotation? And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I was figuring that they were gonna put each box separately, but because it was getting closer to the end of the auction and they're trying to get rid of stuff, they just bundled them both together. So for a box of 34 V-belts and 23 bandsaw blades, I paid 30 bucks. Nice. Which is, you just can't go wrong there. That's that's a steal. And then the last thing I got was I had seen a tray with three rigid dado plate table saw inserts. You know, if you're using a dado stack, uh, the throat plate, you need a wider slot. So that's what these were. And I looked them up, and they're brand new at Home Depot. They're like $22. So I'm like, okay, cool. There's three of them. If I could get them for like 20 bucks, you know, I could definitely sell them and make a little bit of money. But when they came up for sale, for, you know, when the lot came up, they had piled it together with a whole bunch of other stuff. There was two Stanley tool caddies, like the kind where it's like a trough on each side and a handle in the middle. And then there was a case of 24 sylvania lighting remotes you got remote control lights from them there was four brass craft sink supply kits with a multi-turn stop i don't know really what those are for other than they're for sinks there were two water filters for garden hose to kind of keep garbage out of the line there was two pop-up uh, sink stoppers with a brass finish and then there was a remax plastic toolbox uh, with a organizer on the inside instead of just a tray. It was like one of those subdivided organizers that you could put everything in and had like little lids on it. All of that, 14 bucks. So I, I made out like a bandit. Then I left and I went to go see Jesse James and I, you know, I tested everything out and he helped me load this stuff up. And for everything, I basically it was like a hundred bucks, which, you know, you can't go wrong. But it wasn't until I got home and I was cleaning everything up that I noticed I had made a small error. I didn't check when I was there because I knew that, you know, he told me that the, the bench grinder was 240 and I knew he wouldn't have 240 in his shop. So as I'm cleaning it up, I look at the plug and I notice it's got four prongs. And I'm like, oh, no. So then I look on the plate and sure enough, it's 240, 440 split. It's a three-phase bench grinder. So, uh, so, I mean, there's there's nothing I could do at that point. And, I mean, I'm still going to hold on to it. Maybe I'll sell it. Maybe I won't. But, I mean, I'm going to sell that metal stand for 50 bucks. It's already up on Marketplace. So that will pay for itself. I'm not really concerned about it. But, obviously, I don't have three-phase in the shop and probably won't for quite some time, if ever. You know, maybe phase converter or something like that. But... Bottom line is, I had a pretty good Saturday. I, I can't complain. Hey, um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, that's checkmate. No, nope, you've got me, Tom. Oh, jeez, that was the longest game we've had. I think that I, was I a thought great yeah, game. That was so long. Oh, I, man. I wasn't sure we were going to finish before PJ with his yeah. uh, dealer's corner. No, it was good. Yeah, good game. That E four move was slick. That was well done. Well done. Yeah, but I got gotcha. you. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. Of course. Oh, PJ. Oh, he was listening. Oh. <laughs> we did a silent sidebar for about 45 minutes. Sorry about that. Yeah. 
So Tanda, I know that you've got a good story you want to bring back from the from the past, a dealer's corner vintage casting goodness. Yes, the the episode this episode being on casting reminded me of probably my best auction deal ever and that was a molding company that the owner had passed away and the family did not want to carry on with the business. So they were just auctioning off everything. And this guy was a tool collector, junk collector. He had, you know, warehouses full of crazy stuff in addition to the molding equipment. And I saw a vacuum pump that I wanted because I was building a vacuum forming machine at the time, the one I have now. And there was like a nice Welch vacuum pump. And so that's what I went for. But because this was such an eclectic mix of things, I got a lot of things that the auctioneer didn't know what they were. And so, for example, I got this, uh, this little set of grabbers um, that I got for 20 bucks that were actually a set of calibrated Mitotoyo calipers. Ooh. And I got two boxes of, as the auctioneer said, these little tiny punches. And these little tiny punches started out at five bucks, and I think I got both boxes for fifteen. And they were actually uh, sets of pin gauges, for you know precision ground pin gauges. But probably the best thing I got at that auction was a rotational molding uh, machine. And when the auctioneer got to it, he was saying, "I'm not sure what this is. We're going to start it at like a hundred dollars." And uh, and someone says, "I think it's one of those." Uh, box wrapping machines like you put boxes on and then you hold the <laughs> saran wrap and it spins around and and wraps the box and he's like okay well how much for the box wrapping machine and i was like you know i kind of i didn't want anyone else to like know what it was and so i just kind of like raised my hand like oh maybe i could use a box wrapping machine you know <laughs> and then some guy who used to work there was like that's a rotational casting machine that's worth the you know a lot more and i'm like oh you oh, you idiot um, but it only went up to, I think it was right around $250 that I got this rotational casting machine for. And I got the vacuum, uh, molder and I actually ended up getting a much bigger rotational casting machine as well that was missing a bunch of parts. But so I get this back to my shop. I have to go back two times. I bought so much stuff at that auction. I had to go back with my truck twice. Cause I bought all kinds of molding equipment, including, like uh, vacuum pots that are like waist high, a little over waist high, maybe 45, 50 gallon um, vacuum casting pots and a whole bunch of stuff. But I get back with the rotational caster. I had to tune it up just a little bit to get it working. I made one cast with it and then I was talking about it with a friend and a another friend listening in was is works for the movie industry. And he was like, I'm on a shoot right now and we have hundreds and hundreds of things that we have to cast and we're rotational casting them by hand. Well, I mean, we just have text like spinning the molds around. Um, would you, would you lease that to us? And so I ended up leasing it to 20th century Fox for three months at like $1,100 a month for them to do all of the castings. This was for, I don't know if you've seen, uh, I think it was Independence Day Resurgence, I think was the the newest or the latest one. But mm. they find they find like this 
alien graveyard and there were just hundreds and hundreds of these alien skulls and rib cages and bones and stuff. And so it was really sad because they were um, making these castings and then they were painting them and finishing them and then they were taking and breaking them. They were just busting up these castings because it was supposed to be like a whole bunch of broken bones. So there were a few skulls and stuff that were whole, but for the most part, they were all broken up afterwards. So after they, after the production company leases it from me for like three months at, I think around, I think it was a thousand eleven hundred dollars a month. The guy from the props department that had been using it the whole time offers to buy it from me. And so he ends up paying me like about half what it would be new, which was way over, you know, what I paid for it. So it was another like $1,500. And I hated to see it go, but what sold me, he was like, you can come over anytime you want and use it. I'm going to buy it from you, but just call me if you ever need to use it. And you can come over to, um, to the studio, one of the local studios here. And he has kind of the basement area of the studio or his props. And so I was like, man, this, I can't beat this. I've, I've made like nearly 4,000 or over $4,000 and I can still use it. So that was probably my best, uh, the best single auction I've ever been to. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. yeah. I got to find one of those and uh, lease it. Somebody. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tom, what's Yo. your personal history with casting? I don't have any. But I want to ask this question. I would like to have a personal history with casting. It's it's something in the maker space that I just haven't attacked yet. So I'm putting it out to you two to tell me what are maybe the first three things I should explore to do some casting. What materials, what methods, give it to me. That's a loaded set of questions. It really depends on what kind of casting you want to do. The good kind, whatever that is. You can cast in metal, you can cast in polymers, you can cast in um, wax. Resin. All right, I'll put some parameters on it. I'm probably not going to do metal. I'm probably not going to do metal because, uh, like, you need heat, and that sounds like work. So maybe a plastic or, like, silicone molds or resin-y stuff or polyester, not polyester, polyurethane. Like, what is a pretty low low entry point to do something you know there's a skill class seven tom there is no low entry point there's always a low entry point oh there's there's a there's a low entry point what you do is you you go out in your backyard jello jello is a low entry point jello there you go jello molds don't even have to go out in the backyard you can do that right in your kitchen what was i thinking i could probably put jello in that buddha mold i bought that would be yeah who knew all these years my mom was casting jello that's true or you could just make make jello shots. All right, no, for real. What um Buddha, Buddha jello shots. What would be a decent a decent thing? How about how about Tanda and I give you our histories and then if you have questions, we'll go from there. I accept. All right. Tanda, you want to kick it off? I my history with casting is probably um I would say that it probably is uh started out doing plaster of paris. I think a lot of people have, you know, in school did plaster casting, either they did their hand 
or you went out somewhere near the schoolyard and uh, and found animal footprints or something and then poured plaster of Paris in them. So that was probably some of my earliest memory of casting. Um, or we brought in hairspray ca- or, you know, caps off of spray cans and then cast a fork in them and some plastic flowers, called that a recipe holder. But we didn't take it back out, so I'm not sure if that counts. And then the next thing I can remember casting, it was probably in college we made figurines and we just cast them out of lead, which is probably not the best, uh, safest you know, thing to do. But we just went to gas stations and asked if they had uh, wheel weights and any old wheel weights that they had, and we melted them down and cast them into into plaster. And you know, we carved wax figurines, then did plaster molds of them, and melted out the wax and cast lead into them, and painted figurines. So that was probably the the next thing. And then uh, I really got on this kick of urethane casting because. I wanted to make plastic parts and I was having customers that wanted things that looked like injection molded parts. And I just, 3D printing wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't as affordable and it just didn't give you the same sort of finish you could get from an injection molded part. And I kind of did a deep dive into polyurethane molding. And so that was, uh, that's kind of my history with casting and, and, then when I found this auction, it was kind of like one-stop shopping. I left that auction with all kinds of crazy casting. Um, I, I One truckload was resins. A lot of them were kind of running out of date, but a lot of them were usable. And I left with a scale, rotational molder, sample molds of some of the stuff that they had done, um, the pressure pots, the vacuum, so pretty much ready to run. The more important thing is, what kind of figurines were you casting? These were like D&D characters mm. for friends playing D&D in, in college. And so we all kind of like carved our own character and cast it. And so that was that was interesting. One of my friends cast an eagle claw around a marble, and that was interesting. So he this was for mm. a hilt on a sword. And he carved a wax claw wrapped around a, I think he used a marble, which I think, of course, cracked when he cast it. But um, then he did the lost wax process and then cast into the eagle claw around the marble. What was your character's name? Oh, gosh. I don't even remember. Tanda Eagle Claw. He was a mage. No, that was a separate... uh, separate thing the hilt for the sword but uh yeah and 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 to top it off i mean we just we like melted melted the lead on the stove in a pan we didn't we didn't reuse the pan that's a, probably our saving grace uh, that's a good thing yeah you don't want any lead in your diet well all of the sum total of my casting experience has to do with when i was a jeweler and i knew that casting casting was a Let's say, I don't want to say a proprietary process, but it was a specialized process. You needed instruction, uh, or at least I needed instruction. I had no prior casting experience. So uh, there you were able to take a casting course 
I was living in Memphis at the time, and the University of Memphis had a uh, for adults casting course. And I went in there, and basically I'd made a bracelet, a silver bracelet, that I then set a... I had a piece of boulder opal that I had polished by hand, and I set it in there, and I still have it. That was the first thing I ever cast. And then I, I did a brass uh, door pole and a few other things, but... Most of my casting was was as far as like the the higher end with the centrifugal casting. That was where it happened. But then after the fact, I did some. This was right around the time that I can't let me see if I can remember the name of the product. It was a it was a type of clay that you could use, Delft clay, Delft clay. And I I know um, Jimmy Deresta has used it uh, in one of his videos for something. But it's basically like a cross between clay and sand, where it's a loose medium, but it packs well. So you can you get these two aluminum rings, and you pack the bottom with this Delft clay. You put whatever you want to cast in there. You make an impression. And then you put the second ring that aligns on top of the first one, and then you pack it with more of the Delft clay. You stamp it down, and then you carve out like a little um, sprue hole for pouring in stuff. And this was a way to cast something without using wax. You just, you had a model that you used. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I remember is at the time I had a Chinese Sharpei and I loved that dog. Oh man, how'd you hold him still to make the mold? He was a really well-trained dog. Really well-trained. Lay down. Lay down. I'm going to put this sand around you. But he was too big. So... Uh, if you have something that you want to make, you want to you want to cast that's too big, you can use this stuff called reduce it. So you you make a mold uh, out of whatever it is you're trying to cast, and then you mix up this reduce it, which is just it's like a powder. You mix it with water, and it makes like a little bit of a you know like a paste. You pour it in there, and then you let it dry. And as it dries it shrinks down to one half the size of whatever it is you're casting it in. So I had this, um, I had carved out this Sharpay that was probably about two inches, and I was able to cast one-inch uh, molds using the Reduce It, which is, I think, I don't know how many people know about that stuff, but it's a really cool analog way to get some good detail into something, um, being able to work with a bigger piece. Yeah, I I had never heard of such a thing, and I bought I had some some I actually won some at this auction. I also won the opposite, so a material that you can cast, and then you put it in water, and it absorbs water ratiometrically exactly. You know, like the whole structure of whatever it's made of absorbs water, and it grows but keeps your mold looking exactly the same. So What's it, what's that called? Oh, it's still on the shelf. I could go I could go grab. I think the can is for it is still on the shelf, but I don't remember what it's called. I'll go look here in a bit or I'll post it on the Instagram. Okay. But uh yeah, and so you can do the opposite as well, and I had never even thought of that, never heard of anything like that before I saw this stuff. Oh, I I forgot to mention uh for Tom's uh information the stuff that I did mm. at the school was lost wax casting, where you made uh, a model out of wax, and then you put it in an investment, which is sort of like a plaster, 
and you burn the wax out, and then you pour metal into the negative space. So that's two different. Those are the only two types of casting that I've ever done. There's lots of you know you do sand casting for stuff like cast iron. We have uh, we have the modern version of that at our local makerspace, and so we have a resin printer that prints in a resin made for doing jewelry work. And so you can print your 3D print, and then it will burn out, and you can cast into it. That's cool. So that's kind of a cool combination of modern digital technology and, and casting. And there are like specialized jewelry machines that will print in wax um, that can do incredible detail, 3D printed, and then you can... Uh, can burn them out and cast into them. There, there was a spin caster like you were talking about, PJ, at that same auction. Mm -hmm. And that was my first experience with someone writing in a bid for something. And so I'm like, well, if that doesn't go for much, I, I'm, you know, I, I take it because it has, it, they had the little foundry, um, you know, near the wall of the shop, but it was still all plumbed in like a gas foundry with a flue and everything still plumbed in, but I guess you could come and disassemble it. It had the vulcanizer so that you could uh, do your rubber molds and then vulcanize them mm -hmm. for doing. And it had the spin caster, so the actual, you know, centripetal spin casting equipment. And I was bidding on it, and then I would get outbid. And then I bid on it again. And the auctioneer would just shout out a number like $10 higher. And I'm looking around, and no one else is bidding on it. <laughs> and so afterwards, I was like, I walk up, and I'm like, what what's the deal? I was the only person. I mean, I looked every time I raised my hand and no one else here was bidding on it. And he was like, oh, we had a write-in bid on that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you can do that? And so I'd never never heard of that before, but I was off because I was like, I am the only one here bidding on it and you're just running me up, uh, you know, on the, <laughs> on the price because you think it's worth more than what I'm bidding and you should be giving me the bid. Was the auctioneer the one that was jumping the price up? Yeah. Well, no, I think, you know, he would, he would like someone standing next to him would, right, yeah. you know, like lean over. And I'm like, wait a minute. What are you guys in cahoots here? I, I, I didn't know what was going on. To all <laughs> the auctions that I've been to, what they, the, they will publicly say, we have some phoned in bids and they'll take one of the pickers and the picker will, will stand there with like a little list and they'll bid up to a point, and they're like, "Okay, my guy's out." Right. So that way, you you like everybody knew it was happening. Sound like your guys were kind of doing a little a little shady on the down and then, there. Well, and then when I I mean, and then when I stopped bidding, it just stopped at you know. Then whoever was whoever the write-in was got it for the next increment over when I stopped bidding, basically, because I think there was only one write-in or phone-in mm -hmm. bid. I don't know what I would have done with it, but uh, it would have been cool to have uh, you know spin caster and metal casting stuff. As, as with lots of tools, it, it would be neat to have them even if I had, had no attention before I walked in the auction of having them. So there's a couple different kinds of spin casters. Uh, there's one that are perfectly round, and they are horizontal, Tom. They spin around like a merry-go-round. And then there is a kind that's vertical where it throws it up and over. And both of them are extremely dangerous, uh, this is something that I was warned more than once. When you're using a spin caster, you have a, usually you have an investment mold that's very small, and you have a crucible that you're heating up the metal in, and then once it's completely molten, you hit a release, 
and then it starts spinning and it flings the metal into the cast investment. The thing is, when you do that, you have to duck for cover because if that investment breaks, molten metal will shoot all over the place. So it's it's, right. it's like that, and that's unless you have it in an enclosed like a safety cube, which most jewelers I know do not because they don't have the space. You you have to do it in duck, um, and it <laughs> does happen because investment will sometimes if it's not vacuumed properly, it can have bubbles. And if those bubbles create a weak spot, it'll just shatter. So. Right. Or if it has any moisture in it that steams out, mm-hmm. then then it uh, it can break. I, when, when I was doing chip programming, we had stringent requirements for integrated circuits because so many of them were ceramic at the time, the body of the chip. And if you let a little bit of moisture get into the chip, into the ceramic, even when you were processing after the ceramic was cured and then it went through a reflow oven, that moisture would become steam fast enough to crack the chip in half. So did we generate any questions for you, Tom? Yeah, I'm just I'm probably just not going to do casting, and that's but, fine. Uh, but, I'm good but with that. <laughs> resin, resin casting is, is really easy. I mean, go out to Smooth-On and get, get some silicone mold-making. What's Smooth-On? Yeah. What is that? Um, or, or maybe it's called, it may be called Reynolds now. They they bought them, but I think they still keep the Smooth-On Smooth-On is still the name. They still yep. sell it. And so even though they've they've merged, and and you need some silicone, or you can get other, you can get less expensive rubbers for making that are like a two-part mix, and then you pour it over whatever you want to make a mold of, and then cut a seam line, open it up, and... Uh, and then get a two-part urethane or a two-part resin to pour into it, and and done. Make make lots of them. Tanda, Tom, Tom doesn't use rubbers. He's married. and He's got two kids. Oh well, then do yeah. Then use silicone. That's better. Yeah. Well, sucky darn! I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. We know all you hard-working people out there sometimes have accidents. And maybe you don't have insurance, like a lot of us. What happens if you break your arm, break your leg, and you need a cast, but you don't have the money to go to the hospital? We have the solution for you down here. World-famous Uncle Jebediah's fast cast system can save your hand, or leg, or foot, or anything that needs to be in a cast. We sell it here. It's a plaster of Paris in a bucket. All you do is add the included bottle of water, spin it around with your broken limb, and then just dunk it deep several times, and bam, you've got your very own cast. And we also include a free Sharpie holster so that you can put it right into the casting for people to sign your broken limb with pride. Available now, as it has been since we opened, for only $14.95 a bucket. Contact us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right. It's time for crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with casting? I would have to say design because... uh... You can't use design until episode 30. She can I, use whatever she wants. You're you're the one that's banned. I I'm the one that does the banning. What? what? Oh, you're. Oh. A, he's our banner. I'm the banner. There's... 
My, you know my brother Bruce? Yeah. You don't want to make him angry. You do flap in the wind a lot. Yeah, that's true. He'll ban you for sure. That's why they call him Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I, would, I would say sculpting because so often, unless you're just making a mold of something that exists already and you want to make copies of it, so often you have something in mind that you want to make a, uh, a cast of. But then you have to make the thing to begin with. And often if you're if it's something you're wanting to cast, it's an unusual shape or it's kind of an organic shape. Um, and now with 3D printing, it's maybe a little bit easier, but oftentimes you're going to start with clay or start with something that you're basically sculpting before you make make the cast. So I'm going to say sculpting goes well with casting. What about you, Tom? I think sewing goes well with casting because i've never done either of those things so i have no idea i feel like you've said that before it seems very familiar sewing maybe 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 probably thinking of knitting yeah knitting yeah knitting goes well with casting purling and casting totally that's, that's true that's true well i'm not sure if my answer is the same as tanda's but i was going to say carving because if you have wax that you need to cast, you have to carve the wax, which I guess is kind of the opposite of sculpting. Sculpting, I think, would be adding wax, molten wax, which I guess could be part of it. But anyway, when I was doing my casting and I had to make things, I had to sculpt the wax. Not sculpt the wax. Carve the wax. I'm thinking too much of Tanda's answer. I had to carve the wax, um, but it's a, I think it's a combination. I think the carving and the sculpting kind of go hand in hand. You heat up the wax a little bit uh, in, in order to uh, do make impressions. I know one of the things I used was I had these little itty bitty, they weren't pine cones, they were some kind of seed that fell off a tree, but they were sort of prickly. They looked like little brown pineapples, but they were about the size mm. of my thumb. Oh yeah, porky porcupine eggs. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And I used that. I would heat up the wax just enough, like with my hand, to make it a little pliable. And then I would run that all over it to make like an impression. And it would just make like this crazy random pattern. And, um, and it really looked cool. It looked very, very random and organic. And then I cast it, you know, in sterling silver, which I think that the bracelet is like, it's like three and a half or five ounces of sterling silver, which is like a massive amount of silver. Mm-hmm. Like, if you got hit with this thing, you're not getting up. It's, it's very heavy. But, yeah. I have a, I have a friend who had convinced uh, his girlfriend that the cockleburrs were porcupine eggs. And she wasn't happy when she found out otherwise. <laughs> I, I, I really can't comment on that. Yeah. Tom can, though. He's married. Comment on what? I'm still playing chess. What are you guys doing? <sighs> But that that uh, that uh, process works really well in clay as well. Is find find something, some found object to mm-hmm. roll across or press into clay to get interesting kind of organic patterns. If you can find something that is truly organic and transfer it, stones. Then that's that's a good cheater way of of getting a truly organic look to a texture. You could take um, crystals crystals that are faceted and press those in and they give you like an instant pattern just by Mm -hmm. rolling them around or pressing them in and they they look sort of uniform but at the same time not well it's kind of interesting that you went with carving and i went with sculpting because i think the last thing i carved and then cast was probably 
that figurine back in college that I did that was like a wax carving. And everything I've done since that I've um, that hasn't been hasn't started out as a 3D print or something along those lines has been built up from clay, either an armature or just you know lumps of clay. Um, I have a huge box of clay here in the shop, and I just uh, use that as my as my mold. And you have to that's the other thing. If you're using clay, you have to be really careful um, with the type of silicone you use because sulfur-based clays can poison the silicone and it just won't ever set up. It just, you know, it'll set there gooey forever and it won't, the catalyst won't work. Tom, you got a good 3D printer. I think that if you Mm -hmm. pick up a Delft clay set, which I think it's got to be cheaper now. I think when I picked it up, it was like a five, 10 pound bag with all the the rings and everything. I think it was like a hundred bucks. It's got to be cheaper now. That is, all you got to do is 3D print something and then make the impression and you're good to go. The uh, the Delft clay, wherever you pour the molten metal will blacken and burn. So that clay is no longer good, but all the clay around it is still usable. You just take the burnt chunks out. So it's, it's, it's huh. very, it's a very, um, like you get a good value for your investment. You can reuse it over and over and over until you've burned all of it up. You can also make your own. You don't have to use the rings that come with it. You could make like a wooden box to hold the clay in if you wanted to do something bigger. Okay. Um, what should I use? Should I use like aluminum or something? For casting? Right. You could use anything. You could use aluminum. You can get that white metal that everybody likes to use off of Amazon with the little uh, electric melting right. pot. They just call it white metal. I have no idea what it is. Some kind of low white metal. Low if you look point. up, if you look low, low low melt metals, you'll you'll get options. Yeah, you get that okay. you can get lead. Um, I mean, you probably need a higher pewter. temperature to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, pewter is pewter is a great one. It's very easy to work with. Steel is going to be like way up there. That's like a a different art form altogether. You're going to need like yeah. a a true foundry to. Yeah, it's got a higher melting point. Steel. I think copper right. is is very similar. I mean, it's not quite as bad as steel, but you still have to get it on up there. You can do copper. I mean, if you wanted to get into it, I've got a little electric um, electric furnace. That's my my brother in law's, and he did a whole bunch of copper. He and my sister actually tore down a an old trailer house and kept all the wiring. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of as, I don't know, an afternoon, evening activity, they'd go out on the patio and they stripped all the wire off the copper that they took out of this old trailer house. And they melted it down bit by bit in one of those little electric um, foundries and poured ingots, just bought some graphite ingots and made lots of ingots of copper. Hmm. But uh, those aren't terribly expensive, the electric. And it's something you could, might be able to find that someone's, like, experimented with and then just bored of it. That's cool. Yeah, I got to get into it. I got to get something done. I, I think it's just a tool that I could use, and I don't even know how yet. You know, I don't know how I'll apply it. But once you get over that initial hurdle, I think it'll reveal itself. And if you set your wooden flask on fire and it burns up, and Jimmy's nearby with a bandsaw, he can just whip you up a new one. Perfect. That that happened at the Good of the Land Fest. <laughs> Did so, it really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a nice nice little fire. 
I'm sick and tired of this bull pocket. All right. So it's not often that I get irritated. Well, I should let me rephrase that. It's not often I get irritated when I'm not podcasting with Tom. But in reality, it's very when I'm by myself, it's very rare for me to get irritated. And my birthday was January 5th, and I decided to treat myself. And I'm sure you guys have seen, because it's all over the internet, there's a company that is selling these hooded blankets with really intricate designs on them. And I happened to see one that they keep on advertising, which has a stylized animal face on it, but it's all in gold and blues, different tones of blues. And I'm looking at it going, that looks awesome. That looks like something a junk hunter would wear. I'm going to get it. And I paid a good chunk of money, pretty much double the price of a normal hooded blanket that you can get off of Amazon. And I waited and waited. And a month and a half goes by. And it said that there was going to be delays because of COVID. I'm like, okay. I wait a month and a half and there's nothing. Okay. I send them an email and I'm like, um, exactly how long am I supposed to wait for this blanket to show up? They're like, let us check into it. Hold on. They get back to me a couple days later and say, oh, we don't know what happened to your blanket. We've been switching around all our tracking and shipping systems and yours seems to be lost. <laughs> okay. Could you find it for me? I'd, I'd really appreciate that. Okay. So then a couple days later, I get a notification that my blanket is about to be shipped. They created a shipping label. I'm like, all right, some progress. And I wait another four days before the label that they made actually starts to move. <laughs> yeah, Tom just sent me a text. Yes, that is the exact one, Tom. You knew exactly. Yes! You knew what oh, I was talking man, about. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't want to say the company because I don't want them to have any kind of benefit from our crowd. So anyway, I just looked up hooded blanket. I was like, "That's the one PJ likes." Now you just you just don't want to say the company because you know Tom and I will go online right now and order all of those just to spite you. <laughs> Tom knows what it is. He already found it. So, but anyway, that's the point awesome. being. The thing finally is in shipping. So then I get it Monday, two days ago, okay? And it's not what I ordered. It is the design of what I ordered, but the colors, which are supposed to be two tones of blue and a bright gold, end up being black and green and a deep, almost orangey-brown gold. So it does not look like what I ordered. I'm irritated. I get on my computer and I send them a scathing email saying, yes, uh, your entire brand is based off of image and creativity. And what you sent me is not what I ordered. Here are pictures of your product. Here are pictures of what I received. And they responded with, well, um, the pictures that we put up are mock-ups and uh, they may not be exactly as to what you receive, but I forwarded your information to the sewing team so that we can provide better service. That was the email I got today. So wow. I responded with, yeah, I know what a mock-up is, okay? 
uh, what you're comparing this to is if I ordered a blue Camry and I got a black Camry. I want what I ordered, not to improve your customer service, okay? Send me the thing I paid for, and I'm, I'm waiting for them. So I waited two months for them to send me the wrong thing, and instead of telling me they're going to fix it, they're giving me the runaround, and I don't appreciate it. Don't appreciate it at mm, all. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Just this week, I got in. I, I broke my 3D printer over a month ago. Um, basically, the the nozzle just ran right into the bed and scraped the the PEI sheet, like the coating sheet, off of the aluminum bed. Just destroyed it. So I ordered an upgrade. I was like, I'll just use this opportunity to order an upgrade. So I go on Creality's website <clears throat> and I order the removable magnetic bed it's really nice you can just pop the whole bed off and it flexes because it's a spring steel sheet and i was really excited about it it was like 50 bucks but i figured why not so creality is a chinese company and a lot of their stuff can take a little while to get here and i waited three weeks and it finally arrived and i took one look at the box and i went that ain't big enough so, sure enough, I go I go on my email, I look up my order number, I go on the website, and I see that basically what, what had happened was I ordered the wrong thing and they sent me what I ordered. And I'm mad because <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't have happened. They should have predicted that I was going to order the wrong thing and they should have sent me the right thing. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So you're mad at yourself. I'm mad at something. I don't know. So, so my my story is that uh, I ordered, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I shot uh, laser marking compound through my airbrush, which worked really well until it, until it stopped working. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It, yeah. It just kind of destroyed the needle in my airbrush, and so I'm. I was doing these really pitted. They were like cast stainless plates they were plates for this big boiler and i was laser marking them and i had a few more to go and so i ordered new needles for the airbrush because that was working really well so even after i discovered it was tearing up the airbrush i just thought well i'll buy a bunch you know new needles so i get them ordered on on amazon and the box arrives from amazon i haven't ordered anything else from amazon so it's like well those are that that's got to be the airbrush needles so i tell the customer that uh, I'm, I'm good to go again should have them out soon and I open up the box, and it's a K-cup holder. What? It's like like if like you know the coffee makers, the Keurigs that use the K-cups, and you can yeah. buy like a permanent one that looks like a K-cup, but it's like a little wire mesh, so you can put your own coffee grounds in it. Uh huh. Yeah. That's what I got. The invoice says airbrush tips, <laughs> but I got Gosh. a a K-cup replacement K-cup holder, and so I'm like. What the, and so I, and so I go to Amazon customer service and of course it takes me like a whole bunch of navigating to figure out how to, how to return something. And I, I get all the paperwork filled out or I fill out everything online, um, to return it. And, and they say, great, we're shipping you out a box to return it. And so they ship me out a box and I, I get it like, uh, well, then they ship me, they send me a label, a thing to print out a label. So I print out the label. 
I take it to the UPS store, you know, like, like you do when you have to return something from Amazon. I take it to the UPS store and I return my K-cup holder thinking, okay, cool. Maybe, you know, because of the mistake. I mean, they said basically, you know, sometimes someone picks the wrong thing. You know, they're just in this giant warehouse. They see the wrong part number. They pick the wrong thing. Okay. These things happen. So, uh, so I wait and I wait and no airbrush tips. So I go online and I'm like, Hey, I sent back, you send me this thing, you know, like to return so I could get my airbrush tips, nothing's showing up, nothing's moving. I'm seeing nothing in the order. And they're like, Oh, we show that we show that we already sent you airbrush tips and you sent them back. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta be kidding me. And and so after all of that, um, they still didn't update their system to indicate that they shipped me the wrong thing in their system. According to their system, they shipped me airbrush tips and, uh, and I sent them back. And so, uh, I just had to, you know, after all that, after all that delay, I just had to go back on and order, order more of them and hope that they sent the right thing, which they did the second time. That's but that's it, really bizarre. I, I I had okay, so nobody else can see this, but you guys can see my water bottle mm-hmm. that I'm holding up. So oh, put that away. Oh my yeah. gosh, PJ. It's a water bottle, Tom. Oh, sorry. Oh, your dirty mind. I've never seen a water bottle shaped like that before. So anyway, uh, this is a Contigo bottle and it's got a special uh button on the back to open up the mouth so that you can you can drink without having to flip the top open with your dirty fingers, which is what I wanted. Anyway, I ordered this thing from Amazon, and I had I had like the opposite experience that you had, Tanda. I ordered the thing, and I ordered it with something else to get the free shipping, but the other thing was small. So they put it in a box. You know, it was somebody that was lazy. They had like one of those air pillows. So it was rolling around, and what ended up happening was the top separated from the body. And the top is made out of plastic. The body is made out of aluminum, or, or it might be steel. It's probably steel. So what ended up happening was the top kept banging against the steel body. And by the time I got it, it looked like it had been chewed on by a dog. Like it looked like it literally looked like it had teeth marks in it. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not happening. So I I go on Amazon's site and it, it felt to me like it only took me like three clicks. It didn't seem like it was that complicated. It seemed like you had a bigger problem than I did. But I tell them that it was damaged and they're like, okay, We'll send one out right now. You're going to be charged for the new one until you return the old one. And I took like the next day, I had taken the one that was damaged and dropped it off at UPS. And by the time I got home, my new one had arrived. Like they had express shipped it and it was, and it was good. Wow. I mean, they had, they, I, I told them what had happened. The new one came taped. So that it, there was no way for the top to come off. And I'm like, yeah, this is how they all should be sent. So I had like the complete opposite experience of you. Like it came quicker. Like I didn't order like two-day shipping. I get everything free shipping. It, it arrives when it arrives. I don't have right. Prime. So it's it was just bizarre. Like it was – like yours was like the experience from well, I, yeah, I was going to say that was – that's not much of a complaint. That's, that's how it should work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it was just so bizarre because I like opened up the box and I'm like, you know, I, I didn't expect a little tiny box because how, you know, you're not going to ship a little teeny needle in, in a little teeny box. And so I opened it up just expecting to see them. And then there's this, and I'm like, did I order? I don't even have a K-cup 
machine. Why, why, do, why did I order? And then, and then I look at the invoice, and I'm like, oh, well, this, this, these are not airbrush tips. I got one other thing to complain about. So I had uh, – this, this is a little involved, but it's, I think there's a, a small payoff. So Sunday, I was just checking my email, and I see this thing from PayPal, and it says $5 off if you make a purchase of $50 or more from Lucky Vitamin. And with Lucky Vitamin, if it's over $50, you get free shipping. And I I uh, take these uh, things called box rescue remedies. You, They're vitamins for luck? Yes. Like you can just take vitamins to build up your luck? Yes. You didn't know that? I I understand now why you get all these great deals. It's my... Uh, I shouldn't have You take that. Lucky Vitamins. I shouldn't have said that. Um, anyway, so... Um, I go on the site. I, I take this stuff called um, box um, rescue pastilles. They're made out of flowers. It's like an herbal remedy for stress relief. People give them to their pets too. They're they're pretty much safe for everybody. But I use them for sleeping because I have insomnia and this relaxes me enough to fall asleep. And I was about out. Like I'm down to my last tin. You buy them in like these little round tins. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I can get some more from this website and get the $5 off and I'll, I'll get a deal. I'm like, okay. So I look at them and they have them for $8 a tin, which is expensive. So if you buy so many tins, the price goes down. I needed to buy seven tins in order to get up over $50. And then it brought it down to like seven sixty. But even with the $5 coupon, I'm like, that's not really that good. So then I go to Amazon. Amazon starts at $7 and then goes down to like 650. I'm like, all right, that's slightly better. But I'm used to buying these things for like six bucks a tin. So I go to eBay and the first thing that pops up is an ad for a case of 12 for 40 bucks with free shipping, which means that it's $3.33 a tin. And I'm like, oh my God, I just lucked into like the best deal. Like, I've never, ever gotten these things for $3.33 a tin. So immediately I, I grab it, and I see that they had 36 of them, and there was two left. So I just, like, snuck in there. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Well, then Tuesday, and I, I paid for it, and it says, you know, your item is being shipped. Well, then Tuesday morning, I get this notification, and it says, your order has been canceled. I'm like, what, what happened? What? Why is it canceled? And I click on it, and it goes, out of stock. Apparently, somebody can't count. And so the deal that I thought I was going to get, I was not getting. I was, I was very unhappy. But uh, I did manage to find somebody else that was selling a case of them, but I had to pay for shipping, so it ended up being $46. So it was slightly more, but still, you know, that, that was... That was a little disappointing. All right, boys and girls, it's time for Short and Sweet. Tanda, do you have anything to wrap up the show? Yeah, since we were talking about casting, I mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, if you catch the wooden flask that you're using on fire. Um, that happened at, uh, um, at the Good of the Land Fest a year ago, or I guess it's been 2019 at this point. And uh, Clark Easterling, who, if you're not following him or haven't, uh, haven't, and you're interested in actual, you know, cast iron casting, 
Um, he has a lot of really, really cool stuff that he's doing, and he's working with a lot of other makers to make cast products like straight edges and, and different things. That was the first time I had really seen cast iron casting taking place. And so that was a lot of fun to uh, pack the green sand around the mold and and actually be there while you're you know throwing in all of the metal and everything and heating it up and then doing a pour. And uh, the earlier pour of the day leaked out and uh, caught the grass on fire and, and burned up one of the wooden flasks that the sand was packed in. And when we, we had some excitement, but uh, we cast a, a small anvil and that was, uh, that was cool to just kind of be a part of it and, and be there going through the whole process. So uh, Clark Easterling 67, I think on Instagram or Windy Hill Foundry, probably find it through that. And then he also has a YouTube channel. So, but he's doing some cool stuff. I've been debating whether or not to actually use somebody like Clark to do some casting for my vices that I've been designing, or if I should get into it myself and just cast them myself. I haven't decided yet, but once I get a 3D printer and I can start prototyping, that'll kind of lead me in a direction. Tom, do you have anything for short and sweet? Yeah, look up Ant Hill Casting. Oh, God. Super cool. Oh, yeah. That 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 became a. Th- I, I saw that a few years ago, and then it kind of became a thing. So it, they kind of look like they kind of look like Christmas trees when you turn them upside down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, yeah. But they're gigantic. Those things they're they're so massive. Have you seen? Did you click on the ones for the African oh, ants? A- check on African ant. Right, casting. I think they cast a termite mound too. That termite was a huge, mound, huge yeah. casting. Ooh. Yeah, they use like. So I think the guy does it in aluminum, and he uses I think it was something like fifty pounds of aluminum. Like it was a lot, and he just. And I, th- I think when A bomb was out uh, visiting Clark, I think they cast an ant hill. I don't remember seeing the results of it, but I remember I think they went out, you know, out just outside of Clark shop and cast an ant hill. Yeah, crazy. Those things are are really interesting. Yeah, I have one of the straight edges that he did for Keith Rucker, mm-hmm. and uh, I have yet to machine it because my and my surface grinder is not yet in service, and so I, that's kind of out there waiting as a first project for the grinder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing about those. So, as for me, I have um, I've been having a bad week, and I needed a small win, so. Um, you guys at home can't see this, but showing Tanda. Oh, PJ, again, put that away. It's a speaker, Tom. It's a speaker. Oh, it's just a speaker. Yeah. Sorry, so false alarm. I don't know what you thought that was. So, oh. Anyway, I have been trying to cheer myself up in the mornings when I'm getting ready in the bathroom, taking my shower and everything. So I wanted to play some music, okay? And I don't. I didn't have a Bluetooth speaker. I've been playing it with my phone, and the phone is not very loud, so I couldn't hear very well. So I thought, it's been a week. Let me go and buy a cheap Bluetooth speaker, and that's something that I can play music with in the bathroom. So I happened to catch an email. It was one of those ads from Big Lots because I have one of their cards for deals and stuff. And I just clicked on, I was looking, browsing online, and I saw they had like a bunch of cheap speakers. So when I was out running my errands Tuesday, I stopped by the local Big Lots and I was looking and I picked up this one. It's made by Polaroid, although 
I think it's just their name on it. I don't think Polaroid actually makes it. I think it's probably made by some no-name Chinese company, and they just, they're branding it. So anyway, the thing I liked about this is it was $6, marked down from 10 and it had, it was marketed as a mini karaoke machine. It literally comes with a microphone. It looks like a full-size microphone, like a like an eight-inch microphone, but it's actually like an inch and a half. Like it looks like a like a Barbie doll would hold it. And I didn't care about that, but it had a bunch of inputs. It had a USB thumb drive input. It has a TF card input, and then it's got um, an input for a mic, and then a DC five volt input in case you need to charge it or the battery is dying. Uh, and then it's got a bunch of external controls, which uh, a lot of these speakers don't have external controls because you're supposed to control it from your phone. So I'm like, okay, this like rings all the bells. I got lots of options. I pay for it, I bring it home. I plug it in and I pair it with my phone and the sound is good. I'm like, okay, cool. I like the way it sounds, I'm happy with my purchase. But then I start thinking, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I wanna waste the battery on my phone. Let me put all the music on a thumb drive and I'll just run it from the thumb drive. So I grab a thumb drive that has music loaded up on it. I plug it in and then it goes USB drive activated. Now switching to Bluetooth and it just totally bypassed it. I'm like, what, what happened there? What? So then I'm like, okay, maybe I did something wrong. So I take it out, put it back in, same thing happens. And so then I take the, the thumb drive out, plug it into my laptop and I had loaded the music drive up with movies. So I'm like, okay, I'm an idiot. This is why it's not playing. <laughs> so then I load it up with MP3s, plug it back in, turn it back on. USB activated. Now switching to Bluetooth. I'm like, oh, son of a <laughs> So then I'm like, okay, something's something's wrong here. So then I, I go online. I, I First, I read the instruction manual. There is no mention of any kind of formatting for the USB drive. And I'm figuring it's got to be some kind of format problem. So then I get on Google and I search for Polaroid Mini Boom Karaoke USB format, and nothing comes up, literally nothing. And so then I go, okay, let me go to Polaroid's website. I go to Polaroid's website, and all they have is stuff for film cameras. There's like I type <laughs> in, you know, Bluetooth speaker, results not found. I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So I, I keep scrolling around, and then I find a link that says other products. So I click on that and it says, if you have something besides a film product, click here. So I click there and it brings up a page that says uh, computers, televisions, speakers, Bluetooth headsets. Like it had like 400 products that were not, and, and they're probably none of them are made by Polaroid. So I find the Bluetooth speakers, I click on that and it just goes right to a page, no troubleshooting or anything. It just has a phone number and an email address. So I'm like, okay. Let me call. It's during the day. I call the phone number and it says, thank you for calling customer support. Due to the pandemic, our office is closed. Please. Switching to Bluetooth. <laughs> Switching to Bluetooth. <laughs> please, please utilize our website at www.customerservice123.com. And I'm like, okay, fine. I will go to the website. I go to the website. I type it in and... It's giving me like the little waiting symbol, like it's loading. And then it pops up a black screen and says, DNS service error. This site is not available. <laughs> and I'm like, now remember now, I'm having like not, not such a good week. I, there's other things that happened I haven't mentioned. So I'm like, all right, I am not going to lose. 
this this little stupid $6 speaker is going to lose, not me. So I go back to Google, and I eliminate the Polaroid part, and I just search for Bluetooth speaker USB thumb drive format. And I get this really obscure, um, like uh, this, uh, what is it? What's the text websites? Uh, like chat group? I can't remember what they're called. Mm-hmm. Where it's all text. Like an IRC channel or a... No. Or is that too old? Not not IRC. Um, like a bulletin board? Like a bulletin board. It's all text. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's another name for them. But anyway, it's this all text thing where people are asking questions and answering. And the first thing that— it, A forum. A, a forum. It's some kind of forum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first thing it says is make sure your thumb drive is formatted to MSFAT32. And I'm like, oh, of course. Most of the world is still on PCs. This is formatted for Apple. So then I take the thumb drive out, reformat it to the uh, FAT32, which is the only thing you can do with a, with a Mac. You can't do MS. Put the music back on, plug it right in, and turn it on. Now playing music, boop, and then it just starts playing music. And that was the whole problem, was that it was not in <laughs> the, the thumb drive was not in the right format, not the music. So it, it works. I, I used it this morning. It was, it was fantastic. Beautiful. So that's that's my short and sweet, which is probably long and boring, but I don't care. I got a working six dollar speaker. That's okay. <laughs> if it's if it's too long and you need to shorten it up to, uh, um, you know, to keep the podcast to a reasonable length, you can just edit a whole bunch of that out and just have like, uh, I've been trying to make myself kind of happy in the morning in the bathroom lately, and. Uh, I don't know. I plugged it in. I took it out, and nothing happened. So I plugged it in again. I took it out, and nothing happened. And uh, you know, you kind of switching to Bluetooth. Yeah, switching to Bluetooth. I think I'm gonna cut out. I'm gonna cut out my entire segment and just leave in your segment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do want to add one little short thing. Um, If you guys remember, a couple episodes back, I had that deal where I was pulling stuff out of the dumpster, and um, one of the things I pulled out was a Motorola intercom. It was just like a speaker box. There was no external controls. And I picked that out because I wanted to turn that into a Bluetooth speaker. And I, and I still have it. And I was thinking, when I bought this, I was I was thinking about, oh, well, maybe I should have turned that into a speaker instead of buying this thing. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? To buy the Bluetooth um, circuit board with the the 50 ampli- 50 amp amplifier built onto it and then to build a battery to buy a battery controller so i could charge the battery and then to buy the battery to go inside there i didn't need a speaker because there was already but this was going to cost me like five times the amount of the six dollar speaker and i'm like you know what i should just take everything out of the six dollar speaker and put it into the motorola case which is what i wanted to begin with and it'd be six dollars i mean how can you go wrong Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.
And now it's time for Ask Old Oswald. Ask me what? Who are you? Well, it seems like this is going to become a regular segment for us. Everybody loves old Oswald. Oswald, did you did you have any idea you were going to be this popular when you first decided to, you know, come in on our show as a guest? Uh, I'm not really sure what that means. People people want to hear from you. Is just what we're trying to say. No, my wife doesn't want to hear from me. So I'm not really. Uh, I'm not used to that. Okay. Okay. Well, um, we've we've got people have questions for you. Um, Tanda, do you want to start us off here? Sure. I'll start off uh, with a question from uh, Ben Makes KC. What did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be? Huh. I really wanted to be a shoe salesman. That was a glorious profession back then when I was growing up. You know, uh, a lot of people didn't have shoes. So it was, you know, I thought if I could be a shoe salesman, I could get a, a good discount. Maybe get my family some shoes. And uh, I just thought it was, you know, one of them professions that people all would want to have. But uh, I tell you, it's harder to get one of those jobs than you think. So you you couldn't get a job as a shoe salesman? Uh, No. Why not? I honestly can't say. I, I went in for an interview and... They just made a lot of funny faces, and they asked me to leave. So wait a minute. Did did you did they interview you or or not? Uh, no, no. They just uh, they made a face like cause something smelled bad, and then they they asked me to go. Um, how? Do uh, you guys have any questions for Oswald about this? I, I, no, I, PG. I, I think it's best to just leave that one yeah, alone I right think there. So. I think so. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's. Uh, all right, all right, moving on um, to, to the next question here. Uh, Oswald, uh, Sigma Woodcraft wants to know, uh, he says, I don't know how you do it, but how does old Oswald walk the dog? Uh, what's, what's he mean? Well, I think it's important to, to specify that walk is spelled W-O-K. Are, are you familiar with a walk, Oswald? I mean, I walk around the house. Is that? I don't. But what? What does he mean by walk the dog? Oh, are you Are you familiar with a cooking utensil? A walk? That you'd have to talk to my wife. Oh, okay. Uh, I I think he's kind of being cheeky here, Oswald. But he he's asking you about taking your dog for a walk. Why would I do that? Typically, people do that. You know, to to have their dogs. You know go to the bathroom so they don't do it in the house, you know. My dog's not allowed in the house. Oh, so your, your dog is just an outdoor dog? Yeah, he just goes and does his business wherever he wants. I don't walk him. That's a waste of my time. Oh, well, I guess that that, that does make sense. You really... So, so you've you've never walked any of the 87 dogs you've, you've had in your entire life? That's it. Seems like you're trying to make it like I'm doing something wrong here. I, I never walked any of them. They just go and do their business. It's, I mean, it seemed to me like it's kind of mean to make them go when you want to go. You know, I mean, they're they're free to do what they want. Uh, yeah, they're okay. I I took my I took my dog for a walk once, but as soon as I turned on the burner, it was pretty obvious I'd made a mistake. So. I, I never, I never took my dog for a walk again. Yeah. Uh, 
that doesn't. I, uh, Tom, Tom, do you want to hit, hit Oswald with the next question here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one's from uh, Function by Design. <clears throat> Mr. Oswald, what is something hidden in the back of the barn that you don't want Mrs. Oswald to find when you go to that big barn, that big farm in the sky? Oh, uh, I suppose if she found my moonshine set up, it wouldn't be uh, too pretty, but she doesn't go in the barn, so I don't really have to worry about it. I just, uh, I, c- I could put anything in there and... She never find it. She, she she said the barn's disgusting, and she didn't want she didn't want me to 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 track the the barn stuff into the house. She's never set foot in the barn not once in all the time we've been married. But yeah, prob, prob, probably my moonshine, I'd say. I I have a follow up question to that. How do you get your wife to never set foot in your barn? I'd like to know. I'd like. I'm asking for a friend. No, well, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I mean, if you're asking if I trained her or something like that, I, I can't answer. She, she came that way when I married her. You know, she, I, I said, you know, one time I tried to get her to come in to milk the cows and she's like, I don't want to go in there. Yeah, smart Fair woman. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we have a, we have one more that comes to us from, uh, Davidiestus, and he says, uh, "Sweet, old Oswald, should I be concerned about this mole?" Is he asking me about a small rodent problem? Oh, could be, could be a small rodent rodent problem. Yeah, mole. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or he's a chemist or a biochemist or something. He's asking about a mole, but. Uh, and well, uh, if he's asking about the rodent, uh, I recommend he get a shotgun. That'll take care of the problem real quick. Mm, yeah. Uh, suppose he's asking about a mole like he has a mole on his on his neck or something. Should he, Would a shotgun still work for that? Uh, he got a mole on his neck. He needs to get a rat and gnaw that thing off. That's, a, that's what we do on the farm. You get a little critter and get him to nibble it. Rah, 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 you get Save you a trip to the doctor and you get the same results without having to pay them any money. Hmm. Well, that's, that's a good idea. Do you, do you like, do you dab a little bit of something that uh, smells good or tastes good on it or anything? Or do they just naturally go for it, the rats you have there at the farm? Yeah, pick them up and squeeze them. Yeah, they'll eat about anything if you do that. Okay. Oswald, right. that, that does not sound very sanitary. How many times have you actually done that before? And did, are you doing this to yourself or are you doing this to other people? Uh, you know, it's, um, nobody's died from it, if that's what you're asking. That, that, that wasn't the question I asked you. I, I, don't, I don't know what you mean. All right, now you're just avoiding me. I know that. Oswald, have you ever used a rat to get a mole off of someone or yourself? Uh, well, not, not specifically, no. Then why did you say that? Uh, well, you know, I hang down at the docks sometimes and uh, hear rumors, you know, the sailors are always talking funny things. And apparently there's a lot of rats on the ships and that's what they do. Okay. First of all, you told us that you were landlocked. You won't disclose where you are. I thought you were somewhere in the middle of the country. Now you're hanging out by the dock. What docks exactly are you talking about? Uh, I can't say. You can't say, or you weren't telling the truth. You call me a liar. I did. I didn't call you a liar. Just trying to clarify exactly what's happening here, Oswald. And I could tell from the look on 
Tanda and Tom's face that they would like to know the answer to. You guys want to chime in on this? I don't know if we want to push him too far. I mean, he's he's getting a little bit red in the face and uh, and looking a little agitated. So I don't I, I I mean I don't want to push Oswald over some some edge that we're unaware of. Oswald, what dock are you talking about? Let's make it real simple. Where is there a dock? Because I was under the impression there was no water near you. All right, fine. I live near a river. Okay. It's a big river that runs through the country. A lot of people know about it. I'm not going to give any names, but there's a dock, all right? And there's boats, and there's sailors, okay? And they talk about rats, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right, fine. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Yeah, we're, we're obviously not getting a real answer here. So, uh, Was that all the questions we had for, for Oswald, guys? Yeah, I think that was the last yeah, one. We certainly appreciate it, Oswald. Thanks for being on. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank, thank you, Oswald. We'll uh, we'll, we'll he, talk. He hung. He hung up already. TJ, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Well, next time we have questions, we'll we'll get him back. I'm sure he'll be calmed down by then. I think he hung up that time. I mean, usually he just like doesn't know how to work it, and he just kind of hangs up. But I think that was intentional. I think he had had enough of us. I, I halfway think he accidentally disconnected the cord. But well, I hope so. I hope that's all it was. Who knows? It might have been the rats. I think we might have tuckered old Oswald out. I need a nap. <laughs>